Genesis chapter 1. We are still on the very first day of creation. We will complete that today. I have every confidence. (laughs) Genesis chapter 1, and we've read this already. We're going to start reading at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And the Lord said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the, day, the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, day one. Everything that's happening in here is all connected together. Uh, you look at the grammatical structure of, of our English and it, it is matching very, very closely to what is happening in the Hebrew as well. There is uh, uh, repeated, what the, the Hebrew letter is wa, uh, but it is wa that is followed by a verb. In our English we have it and followed by a verb. Uh, that, that, per, uh, that construction in, in Hebrew means that, that all of these activities are happening one right after another. There is a consecutive progression to all that's happening in this first day. I only want to point that out because, again, we live in a time and place where there are many people who are, who are trying to suggest that, that, that there are great periods of time that are passing in these first few verses. Um, The passage itself doesn't lend itself to that. You have to read those thousands of years or eons or or whatever into the passage. Um, It is is a a repetitive kind of thing. Um, And so we we can have confidence that this is describing the very first day of creation. Now, your verse 5, and probably in a lot of your translations, um, it, will, it will end with this uh, refrain that is going to be repeated over and over throughout the days of creation. There was evening and there was morning, and your translation will probably say the first day. That's what ESV translates it as. If we were to actually take the Hebrew um, as it is described, there is some uniqueness about this day. Um, it, it doesn't use uh, the, the numeral, the cardinal numeral for day one. It is just the regular old one. It's not the first day. It is day. It is not even day one. It is one day. Uh, that's a little bit unique because if we continue on through the rest of the chapter, we're going to see that on the subsequent days, the author there is going to use the cardinal number. So on the second day, we have, there was evening and morning, a second day. The third day, evening and morning, a third day. Evening and morning, the fourth day. Evening and morning, the fifth day. And then we have another change. 
the Hebrew on the sixth day. It is an evening and morning, a day, the sixth. There's something special happening on the day. And then on the seventh day, we read here, there in, um, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 2, and on the day, the seventh, God rested. God finished His work, all that He had done, and rested from His work. The first day is unique from all the rest of the other days. The grammatical structure of that is unique. And I think it's important for us to recognize because my understanding of what the author is trying to communicate through that is that he is, is letting us know that this is the pattern for what constitutes a day. God did his work, God spoke, let there be light, God created the heavens and the earth, let there be light, there was evening, there was morning, one day. It's significant, not thousands of days, not thousands of years, not any of those other kinds of things. Uh, this is one day. And he, he's in... He's in uh, emphasizing that for us because there has never been a day before this. This is what what makes up a day for all of humanity. And he wants to point that out to us, that God has established that right from the very beginning, that he is the one that has determined what is a day. Now again, there are some who will look at this passage and they will say, but yom, the Hebrew word for day, can have lots of different translations. It can be a a, a 24-hour period. It can also talk about uh, a a time period, a a collection of days, a a season of life. Um, I... I've been doing a lot of study this week trying to find, and I've been looking at some of the the literature of those that uh, that would support an old earth creation that says that the earth that God created, but he's created over millions and millions of years. And they're the ones that would point to the yom, the Hebrew word for day here, and say that it's it's an allegorical day. It's not actually a 24-hour literal day, but rather it is... Uh, thousands of years or millions of years or, or whatever it is that they might choose. And I've looked at the verses that they have used to, to emphasize or to back up their statement that, that yom can mean lots of different time periods. It doesn't necessarily just mean a 24-hour period. And I can't make yom mean anything other than a 24-hour period. There are a number of, of places where, where it would talk about um, that in the, the, the days of Noah, which, okay, that I understand that, that that is in, in the, the time of Noah, and so it, it is, you could, and, and there's a lot of translations that will do it at that, in the time of Noah, um, they, they, t- they take yom and make it time rather than days. But it is plural. 
in that situation. And so it is just as appropriate, it makes just as much sense to keep it as days, but make it plural. So in the days of Noah. Uh, there are other times that, that there are those that would in, uh, translate that into uh, the season or, uh, or other things like that. In all of those situations where our, our Bibles will translate other things, yom, into other things other than day, there is, there is a, 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 a grammatical format in all of that. Most times when it is more than just a 24-hour period, it is plural. And so it would be just as, make, just as much sense to make it days. Um, there are other times when, when uh, yom is translated forever. And that, you can understand, would indicate some people, would give people some license to say that, that yom could be more than just a, a day period. But when you look at the Hebrew, what is actually being translated forever is another word, Kal yom. All or always days. So they've taken two words and made it into one word and translated for us forever because it is smoother English, right? Rather than saying always days just to make it forever. In every situation that I found in the literature that, that the old earth creationists would use, um, there wasn't any any situation where it didn't make sense to keep it translated just as day as a 24-hour period or if it was multiple days to have it plural um, and multiple days. Um, there, yeah. I know that, that there may be some here that, that have have uh, had opportunity or, or have been listening to some of those people that would teach some of those kinds of things. Hugh Ross is, is one. I've actually had interactions with Hugh Ross. Uh, he's a great guy. Um, and and uh, the ministry that I used to work with, Power to Change, we had a partnership with Hugh Ross and we were doing some work with them on their website and things like that. Um, he, he's got lots of good things to offer. Um, I just... I just don't understand and I, I don't see the things that he is trying to emphasize that, that would indicate that yom means anything other than a 24-hour period. And especially within the context of evening and morning, day one. To me, that just is, is emphasizing that, that God is, is wanting us to see this as a literal 24-hour period. So I wanted to get that out of the way before I got on to the rest of the stuff because I think it's important for us to deal with some of those questions. If you have concern about that, I would love to chat with you about that. Um, if you've got an example uh, of where Yom should be translated differently than day, please come and show me. I would love to, to talk with you and I am always open to being corrected. Um, I think it's important to have those kinds of conversations and... and uh, um, uh, sharpen one another through that process. So let's get to the good stuff. And God said, let there be light. I want to remind you, this is the first day of creation. 
Before this day, there was nothing in a physical material world and in physical material universe. There was no physical material universe. God created ex nihilo. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Out of nothing, God created. Light has never existed before this moment. And God is speaking into existence and He is uh, uh, calling out of nothing this, this energy, uh, this, this life force into our universe with just the, the words of His mouth. Let there be light. And what? There was light. Now, uh, Moses doesn't go into the details of, of the scientific understanding of what light is, that it's part of the electromagnetic spectrum that includes everything from radio waves all the way to the very shortest of gamma rays, that, that, that visible light is only a very small portion of that whole spectrum. Um, uh, he, all he says is, God said, let there be light. From a technical point of view, we have to understand that God in that moment created that whole electromagnetic spectrum that we see today that has such an impact on our lives in so many different ways. Um, But God spoke that light into existence, into, into a universe that was still tohu vabohu, without form and empty. We talked about how God was in the process through this week of creation. God was in the process of bringing form and filling that universe that he had created. And this is part of being able to form this universe so that it is habitable for life. So that humans can exist and thrive here in this world, this universe that he is creating. This is one of the steps, a very necessary step for, for God to create a universe where humans can thrive. Where we have everything that we need so that we have the opportunity and the freedom to be able to explore all that God has created so that we can know Him. That we can be walking in experience with Him we would be able to explore the wonders of His goodness, of His power, of His wisdom. In order to do that, there needed to be light. And so God spoke it out, and there was light, and God saw it, and it was good. Now, for those that that are reading this carefully and perhaps have read ahead a little bit in this chapter, you would realize that that God speaking out, let there be light, there was light, but there was no sun yet. The sun doesn't show up until day number four. 
Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let the lights be in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser night light to rule the night and the stars. So it's not until day four that God actually creates the sources of lights that we are most familiar with. And yet, there was light. And it was good. I've been, I've been wrestling through trying to figure out why. <laughs> why did God do it this way? Was it, was it just that he had to first create the concept of light before he actually made the sources of those lights? Yeah, but, it, but it wasn't just a concept, right? God saw the light and, and, and saw that it was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And, and there was, he, he called the, the light day and the darkness night. And, and there was evening, there was morning, day one. So there was actually physical light that was present, even though there was no source for that light. How? And in our human minds, we're trying to think, there is no natural explanation for how that could be possible. Right on. Absolutely. Because there is nothing natural process about this being spoken into existence. Now put in the context of tohu vabohu, of being formless and void, as we read through the, the whole description of creation, we actually see God forming first and then filling. And this is one of the examples of that. This is an example of God forming light and darkness here on day one, and then on day four, filling that with sources of lights. The sun, the moon, the stars, so on and so forth. Uh, we see that also on day two. If we continue to read on, day two, God is going to separate the waters from below to, from the waters above. And, and in that space, he is going to create this expanse that he calls heaven. Uh, and, 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 and so God is forming that for us. And we're going to talk a little bit more in, in upcoming sermons about what that is all about. There's some important stuff that we need to discuss in all of that. But God was forming the sky, the heavens. And then on day five, we see God filling it. On day five, am I right? Yeah, that's right, day five. He fills the expanse with birds and he fills the water below with fish. Again, Forming on day two, filling on day five. Day three, we see God separating the water from the dry land. And the, and the plants begin to grow. Again, forming. Humans can't survive on a watery planet. There need to be dry land. And so in order to create a, a place that is inhabitable, God forms the dry land and separates it from the sea. Day six, God fills that dry land with all of the animals, and then most specifically, humanity. So God is in this process of forming and filling. Uh, so that's, 
That's part of the reason of why God had to, first of all, create light to speak that into existence so that he would form that whole process and so that later he would be able to fill that. But I think there's something more that's going on. I think, I think God has set, a, set aside day one to be the, the, the moment when he speaks light into existence because it's also one of the, the key images that God uses in order for us to be able to know him. 1 John chapter 1. Keep your finger in Genesis. We'll probably go back there. But 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter 1 and verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you. God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And he goes on. And, and 1 John is full of descriptions of how God is light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So God speaking light into existence is a, is a crucial part of him revealing himself to us as humanity and so he wanted to set aside this very first day because this is one of the key ways that we understand about God I love science I don't know if you've gotten that yet from me I've had the joy of having a bunch of homeschool kids come to our place on a regular basis and I get to teach them science I get to learn about science and then be able to help them understand it. And, and in this last term, um, just in the fall, we went through a, a session looking at the characteristics of light. And what I love about it is as, as, you, as you study light, it actually helps you understand, it reveals the character and nature of God. What do I mean by that? Uh, there is... There is one aspect of light that uh, Albert Einstein had a, a key part in, in revealing for us. Um, in his famous E equals MC squared, uh, we know that energy equals matter times C, which is a constant squared. Anybody remember what that C stands for, what the constant is? It's the speed of light. Why is it C? Why is it considered a constant? I didn't really understand this before. I still don't fully understand it now because it is, it's mind-boggling. But the speed of light never changes. 
not even when it is in different relationship between the source of the light and the observer of the light. Let me tell you what that means. If I were to have, I've got a laser in here, but I'm not going to shine it in your eyes because that's not good. Um, we have a source of light. We've got a source of light up here. No, let's do it, let's, let me do it this way. If I had a flashlight in my hand and I were to shine it at you, the beam would hit you at the speed of light. If you were stationary and I were stationary, the beam would hit you. If you had some way of measuring a, a, a radar gun or something like that would, that, would, uh, that would record the speed of that light coming at you, it would be coming at you at the speed of light. Can I remember what the speed of light is? I didn't memorize this part for the sermon. I'm sorry. But it's a number. Anybody else know it? 300,000 kilometers per second. That is not exactly right. It's actually a little bit more, but for the ease of math, they usually just say 3,000 kilometer, 3, kilometers, 300,000 kilometers per second. Um, so you would take your radar gun that is really good and would go and show you 300,000 miles per second. If I took that very same flashlight and you being stationary stayed in one spot and I started walking towards you and turned on that light. If you had your special radar gun that would be recording the speed, it would still come up at 300,000 kilometers per second. Did I get that right? Did I get the number right? There we go. It would still be the exact same speed. It wouldn't be 300,000 kilometers plus whatever speed I was walking. It would still be constant at 300,000 kilometers per second. If I was on a rocket ship going crazy fast and I took that flashlight and I shined it in your eyes and you had your handy-dandy speed radar gun and you took the speed, you would still record that speed even though I am traveling at an insane speed towards you. It would still only say 300,000 kilometers per second. If you were on a rocket ship coming towards me, and I was on a rocket ship coming towards you, and I were to shine that flashlight in your eyes, even though you were coming at a crazy hot speed and I was going at a crazy hot speed, that light would still be 300,000 meters per second. Kilometers, sorry. I don't get it. I don't understand how that works. It doesn't make any sense to us, but... All of the scientists agree that the speed of light is always the same no matter the relation of the source and the observer. It still will always be 300 kilometers per second. Let me tell you something. God never changes. It doesn't matter if you are running away from Him. <laughs> It doesn't matter if you're running towards him. He stays the same. There is no change in God. He is the constant of the universe. And so when we say God is light, he helps us understand that. And so when God said, let there be light in that 
He spoke out that constant in our universe that He would be the speed of light that never changes. That's not the only way that, that we understand the nature of God through our study of light. Is this going to work? Nope. Let me go back here for a second. So, um, there we go. So there are some other aspects of light that are very important for us to know. I love this word. I got my kids at school to recite this word over and over again so they could use it at their dinner table when they got home. Rectilinear propagation of light. Isn't that a great word? Kind of rolls off the tongue. Rectilinear propagation of light is the, is the law that says that light always travels in a straight line. Unlike anything else, if I were to throw this remote at you, it would take a trajectory and would eventually come back down to the ground. If you shoot an arrow, if you shoot a gun, everything always has a trajectory. Nothing goes in a perfectly straight line. Light travels in a straight line. What that means is if you have three pieces of cardboard with a candle at one end and all of the holes in the cardboard all line up and you look through that hole, you can see that light. But if you move any one of these pieces of cardboard, you no longer can see the candle. Why? Because the light doesn't go around corners. It always goes in a straight line. That's one of the reasons we can have shadows. Here we go. A shadow is possible because of the rectilinear propagation of light. It goes in a straight line, and so instead of the light bending around corners and, and erasing the shadow, the light is coming in a straight line and hitting the, the, uh, whatever the object is and creating a shadow of it on the screen, on the wall. That is absolutely necessary for light to, uh, for light to exist for us to be able to have shadows. One of the things that this tells us, the abs. Oh, this is cool. You're gonna like this. Um, uh, one of the things that this, that helps us understand is because light moves in a straight line, because it has this rectilinear propagation property, um, we we know that that light acts as a as a particle. And there's some other things that also show us that light acts as a particle. But this is, this is really cool. I've never done this before, and I think it's really cool. But this guy is talking about lights and shadows and how you can actually see the source of the light when you shine it through different pinholes and, and, and see it on different shadows. I, I'm just gonna the absence of light can be as revealing as light itself. As Exploratorium artist Bob Miller explains... Now here's some nice ones. See the shadows of the trees here on the ground. Well, if you use a white board, they show up a lot better. And it's kind of fun. You can't have a shadow without having some light. So it's kind of instructive to actually look at the light that's reaching the board. The light that comes through the holes in between the trees reaches the board and it's round because the holes in between the leaves act just like pinholes. So you get round images of the sun every place you got a hole in between the leaves. Well, if light is images, and shadows are blocking light. In some sense, then, shadows are really blocking images. And that does lead to some nice surprises. Let's go over and look at some shadows in the direct sunlight. Here we can use a board that has some different shaped holes. 
as we let the light go through the holes, each one of those spots of light resolves into a round image of the sun, independent of the shape of the hole. Here we got some diffuse white light again, like we had outside with the sunlight. But in this case, we've got cross fluorescent tubes as our light source. Looks the same as it did outside, diffuse white this light. This is cool, watch this. But take a look, it's really different. Here's a hole in a panel. I pull a round back, hole. And we look at the light that goes through the hole and reaches the screen, and you can see that it's in the form of an image of the cross fluorescent tubes. Isn't that amazing? It's obviously the light going through that hole. If I put my finger over the hole, the image disappears. So if instead of a hole, I take this black dot and put the black dot out here where that hole was, this black dot is going to block the light that went through the hole. Oh, shoot. And it's sure enough, the shadow of this black dot the shadow is, is a missing image is of the cross fluorescent uh, tubes. Cross as well. With a grease Sorry. pencil, I can put another little dot here on the panel. Anyway, he's, he's going to... Oh, I'm going to stop that. So he's going to show you that, that even he can draw a whole solid line and what shows up is a whole series of little X's all along in that shadow. Why? Because the source of the light is crossed like that. Uh, that is, again, the rectilinear propagation of light. Light travels in a straight line. And so when you, when you focus it through a particular uh, a small hole and focus it in, eventually it will show you whatever the shape of the source of the light is. So if it's a cross like that, it'll be a cross. If it's a round sun, it'll make a round dot. So if, if any of you have done those, like at, at uh, eclipse times, when there's a, a solar eclipse and you've made a little pinhole camera where, where the, the light from the sun comes uh, through a little teeny hole and you can see it on the screen on the other side and you can actually watch the moon going over the sun and you can see the shape of it all within that little camera. That's because of the rectilinear propagation of light. Light travels in a straight line. Light is particle. And this guy is just going to, I think I'm probably going to skip over, but this is the photo, photoelectric effect. And basically what he's got here is a little um, electroscope that, that uh, uh, measures if there is static electricity. So he can... He can energize this and the needle is going to move a little bit, just showing that there is static elect electricity. What that is saying is there are more electrons on this little reader plate uh, than what normally is there. And so because electrons are negatively charged, that means it shows that there is a, a negative charge on there. Um, and then he is going to, just by touching it, he releases it. All of that to show then eventually what he's going to do is use a light and shine it on this little plate and shining the light now it's uv light so it's one particular frequency of light but by shining the light on there what is going to be happening is it's going to release the electrons from here and the stereoscope will show that it comes back to a balance what that is saying is there are photons in that light that when it hits this metal plate, what it does is it actually hits and knocks off some of those extra electrons that are out there and removes the electrical charge so that it stays then neutral. That is one of the ways that you prove that light acts as particle. Why is this important? Because light acts as a particle, but it also acts as a wave. Light exists as a particle, as a photon, so it has momentum, it has energy, but it also acts as a wave. How do we know that it acts as a wave? 
I'm going to skip you, sorry. Um, this, is an ex- this is a demonstration I was able to do in, in, because I had all of the stuff. I used this little uh, uh, vice grips kind of a thing with a wire strung in between. How does this help us? This will actually show us the wave, uh, fa- the wave properties of light. So I'm going to use a laser. This is actually this laser up against my garage door. And here is that little tool. And I am crossing the wire through the beam of that light. And watch what happens to the beam of light here. Oh, let me just go back. Sorry, I was talking too much. So when the wire crosses in front of the beam of the laser, we have just a circle, but watch what happens. All of a sudden, we've got a line going across. It doesn't show up that great, does it? You can see it? I've got a picture of it a little bit more, and you can see a line all the way across. What's happening is as the laser beam hits that little thin wire, you can actually do it with a hair as well, and and, and it crosses that the wave feature of the light blocks it and spreads it all out. And all of a sudden you can see, if we zoom in, you can see all of these wave features in the light in that line that's being stretched out. And that's one of the ways that that we have been able to prove that light is both particle, it's a photon, but also is a wave. So this would be the laser light, this would be the wire, and you can see how it all spreads out from that point being blocked. That's called diffraction of light. And that helps prove that light has a dual nature. It is both particle and wave. Why is that important? Jesus is the light of the world. When he existed on this earth, he had two natures. He was both fully human and fully God. How does that work? Nobody can really explain how light can be both a wave and a particle. All we know is it is because we see evidence of it. Nobody can explain how Jesus could be both fully God and fully human at the same time. But he just is because that's what he said he is and that's what we see, that's the evidence that we have around us because he was, he was human just like us, but he was able to do things that we would never be able to do. So God is both, Jesus is both fully human and fully God. That's why Jesus set aside day one as the moment when he would just speak light into existence. Because it was so important for us to be able to know his nature. That he put all of his energy and all of his attention into creating something that would reveal himself to us. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day they pour forth speech. Paul wrote in Romans that the, the nature of God, his, his, his divine nature and his, his eternal power are, are easily, clearly available to us, evident to us because of the things that he has made. And so none of us have an excuse. 
God is revealing himself through what he has made. And when he said, let there be light, he was doing that so that we could know him. We could study him. I've said this before. Let me say this again. Science is a wonderful opportunity of knowing God. It has been, it, it has been robbed by atheists, by those that, that are trying to find any excuse not to, to, to submit and surrender to the authority and the, and the, and the, the, uh, the kingship of God in our lives. But one of the wonders is, is that the more and more we understand our world, the harder and harder it is to get away from the fact of the character and nature of God. We should not be afraid of science. Science, when it is done well, is going to help us understand God. Johannes Kepler, one of the fathers of science, the one who, who described the movements of the planets in our solar system, he was the one that said, for him, science is thinking God's thoughts after him. That when we are looking at our world, when we are investigating the, the microscopic or we're investigating the macro, that we have opportunity of understanding God in a better way. Young people, don't be afraid of science. If God has given you a curious mind, explore it. Get involved. Find out more. Keep your Bible open because I guarantee you that the more you understand what is going on in here and look and see for how it is revealed in the world around us, you are going to be doing much more successful science than anybody else is ever able to do. Today we are seeing many who have been atheists, who have been studying the universe, who are now saying, I believe in God and have been giving their lives to Christ because of what they have seen in the study of science that they've been looking at. We're on a, 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 a pendulum swing that has gone from science being an atheistic domain alone. And we are coming back to where science is going to be more and more used to show God. Let me also tell you some good news. In whatever darkness you find yourself, God says, let there be light. In whatever heartache you find yourself wrestling with, Jesus comes and brings his dual nature and says, let there be light. One last little sciencey thing. Every other wave that exists within our universe needs a medium to move. Waves on the water need water or liquid for them to be able to exist. Sound waves, for you to be able to hear me today, needs either air or something solid for them to, to travel through. If you're up in space, you won't, in the vacuum of space, you won't be able to hear anything because there's no medium for the sound waves to travel through. Every other wave in the universe needs a medium. 
except light. Light travels from the very far reaches of the galaxy to us without any medium in between in the the vacuum of space and it is able to come at the speed of light and find us no matter where we are at. (laughs) Jesus doesn't need anything to speak light into your life. He will come and meet you where you are at in the, the deepest, darkest hole in the highest joyous mountain, the light of Jesus Christ will come and bless and illuminate your light in your days. If you have yet to discover that light for yourself, (laughs) don't leave here today without talking with somebody of how you can embrace that light for yourself. If you have been struggling with dark thoughts, dark days, things have been piling up on your life and you've forgotten, let me encourage you to look towards the light of Jesus. He is speaking that light into your life. He wants to bring you hope. He wants to bring you love. He wants to bring you joy. All of that's available no matter where you are at. Whether you are running away from Him or running towards Him, His love is the constant in this universe.